This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerist, CPA with Parmels and Associates. So a couple weeks ago, we were talking about a lot of struggles with selling to a key employee or selling to a family member, you know, and a lot of these deals that aren't kind of a general business transaction. There's emotion involved and, you know, blood and a lot of history there and kind of advice on both sides of it, of what I've seen kind of being stuck in the middle sometimes of, you know, what's been really frustrating and then also what has allowed people to have a smooth transition. And The feedback on that episode was pretty surprising. A lot of people reached out and were in a similar situation because a lot of the classical shop succession is usually family member or key employee, right? And so there's a lot that goes into that. Matt Fonslow from Diagnosing the Aftermarket actually reached out to me and is kind of going through a little bit of a similar situation. So kind of wanted to share what he's going through, what advice he has, if any, for someone going through the same thing. Um, But it was a really cool conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it. Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Let's face it, your shop management system is the most critical tool in your shop. NapaTrax will move your shop into the SMS Fastlane with on-site training, six days a week support, and local representation. Visit them online at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. It's time to hire a superstar for your business. What a grind you have in front of you. Great news, you don't have to go it alone. Introducing Promotive, a full-service staffing solution for your shop. Let them do the heavy lifting. Enlist your hiring partner at gopromotive.com. All right, here with Matt Fonslow. Matt was kind enough to come on today. He was actually listening to one of my episodes, or maybe he just saw the episode title and texted me and said, hey, Hunt, I think I would like to come on and talk about this. And the episode was talking about succession planning and giving a business to a family member, a key employee. And you would think that that deal is a simpler deal because it's a known party, it's amicable, but sometimes these can get the trickiest, whether it's mom and dad, that employee that's worked with you 25 years on it. A lot of times those can get a little bit trickier because it's not just business. There's relationships involved here. So Matt of Full Introduction, Matt Fonslow of Diagnosing the Aftermarket, great podcast if you haven't checked out already. So he's here to talk a little bit about it today. And Matt, what a roundabout introduction I gave you there, but that's what you're getting, I guess. I'll take it. I'll take <laughs> anything. I'm desperate. <laughs> I always got to be careful. Me and Matt start talking. I'm like, oh crap, I got to record because we'll start talking <laughs> here for 45 minutes and be like, wait, that was perfect. I wish would have got that. But Yeah, I mean, you and your boss have been on here before kind of talking about some stuff and just wanted to kind of see where things stand with you because obviously, you know, some aspects of that episode resonated with, you know, kind of what you're going through. I think I kind of told him a few years ago that I think I wanted to be a shop owner before I turned 45. I felt like I kind of wanted to, but I don't want to imply that I'm just ultra passionate either. If I don't, I'll feel like some sort of a failure, but I do find times where I feel like... Riverside Automotive has become really a reflection of what I imagined a repair shop could be versus his. And I guess right out of the gate too, I want to be careful when I word stuff. It might sound ultra critical of my boss. I really don't mean it that way to be just throwing him under the bus. I'm trying to be honest too. You know what I mean? Just straight up with with you and the audience is that trying to put aside as much of my bias as I can to try to just 
shoot as straight as possible about it, the whole thing. And even from his perspective, try to be honest and sympathetic. Well, I think you bring up a good point. And and most of these deals, you know, especially ones that drag on or, you know, build some animosity, a lot of times are amicable deals. Like the two parties like each other, trust each other, and you probably even related. And I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Just one issue of it's usually not one party being a jerk and the other one kind of getting screwed over. Now that might be the actions that come out, but I don't think that's usually the intent of it. I don't think so. Like, I think another important point is I don't know that there's really any way to ignore the fact that I am in no way mistreated, that I feel I get taken care of pretty darn well. I think my income has gone up quite drastically the last really five years, maybe a little longer. The profit sharing program that I pitched to him and he accepted and we tried it out has helped immensely as long as well as some base rate or our base hourly rate increases. There's really no way to say it better is I kind of have a do whatever I want and get away with a badge. So some people and, are going to be listening and saying, what do you hear complaining about? Yeah. And I think a lot of times when you complain about stuff, it isn't so much that things are so bad. It's well, that you just see what it could be. How long have you worked there in total? When did you start working there? January 2nd, 2012. 2012. So we're 11 years little, out of that. Yeah. And I do have a question about how the original conversation came up because I think, and I've had employees of other businesses approach me on this, but at what point did you guys have like kind of the conversation, not like finalizing stuff, but hey, you know, at some point, Matt, I do want to sell my business to you. Is that 12 years ago or was this? Like- no, technically that words out of his mouth like that maybe three years ago tops. There were some headbutting with pay rates mm-hmm. for a while. And I don't think he believed I could get paid more locally. Like he figured if I wanted to move, I could probably find a much better paying job. But to live where I live and work where I work, that chances of me making more than he was paying me was very negligible, just very low probabilities. And I proved him wrong. And so I got a pay bump and a couple other pay bumps after that. He kind of asked me like, where do I see this all going? And I kind of looked at him. I think I'd like to own a shop before I'm 45. And I think he felt like that was a blind side. And I didn't mean it like critically. I wasn't like, this place sucks. I want to open my own shop. I think I was implying like I had felt like I had helped build Riverside and continue to do so that I would also like a little piece of that action too. And do with profit sharing, obviously, but there's a little something different about being an owner versus an employee. It's pretty rare. Well, it's ownership. It's like, hey, right. it's not yeah. that I have helped create someone else's, you know, thing. If you think of like the business as like an actual physical piece, it's you've helped create someone else's masterpiece versus I think even if the money's the same, it's a lot different if it's actually yours. Now, I'll tell you that there's a lot of downside that come out of this, right? It's, but yeah, I mean, I completely get that. And now you guys had the conversation three years ago and there might not even be an official date, but you guys had more or less kind of a deal hashed out and and kind of a timeline on when that was going to get done, right? Yeah, what had happened is he had started thinking more and more about retirement. And maybe we're jumping around a little bit on this, but one issue I think with this is we're almost too close in age. I think he's like 12 years older than I am. So he just turned 58 or 59. So I don't think he's really ready to retire age-wise or doesn't feel like he wants to at that age. The other thing, of course, is that 
like the shop is part of his identity. He loves putting on the uniform every morning, going down to the cafe, eating breakfast with people, wearing his uniform, being Riverside Automotive, somebody new at the table. Hi, how are you? So what do you do? Oh, you know, I own Riverside Automotive and he really likes that. So I don't think he's really ready to part ways with that. But he had started thinking more and more about that. And just so happened randomly, a consultant stopped by. Or I should say at least a salesman from a consulting company (laughs) stopped by. And my boss does have a tough time not talking. He gets a rolling and it's a perfect setup for the salesman. Let me send you one of my consultants. We'll go through everything. And if you decide to hire us, it'll be this much money and whatever. We'll make this place just hum and we'll help you get on with the succession plan. We'll help you execute that. And I think that's what really sold them on it. So the consultant shows up. for those wondering, this is not a coaching company. This is, well, I guess they technically are, but it's not an automotive specific group out there for the people trying to guess which coaching company sent someone out there to try and sell them harder. Yeah, exactly. And I think... I should look it up. We did an episode about this. We did Maybe a, with... Yeah, I can't remember if it was... I think it was on uh, Remarkable Results, so one of Carm's... Yeah, it's like something predatory. If you search Matt Hunt predatory, well, you might be have to be careful with that one, but <laughs> maybe Matt Hunt Carm predatory. But it was the yeah, predatory sales practice, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, would, you guys aren't alone on that one, right? There's been a couple people that have been kind of caught up by the same thing as well. Yeah, some of them... Some of these entities are targeting, you know, their automotive shop consultants, if you will. And some of them aren't. This one wasn't. And that my boss found that attractive that these guys are on the outside looking in. They're not part of the profession. So they might know more about business, which is kind of ridiculous. But in either case, which again, this sounds like super critical of my boss. To me, there was a very comforting light out of that. And the consultant, when he would pull me in for meetings and talking about the succession stuff, was telling me like how important it was to my boss that if I did take over, if I did buy him out, that I was put in the best position possible to succeed, that he was willing to concede a lot. Nothing was really mentioned what or how much, but the consultant just made it sound like he's willing to do what it takes to help make this work and help get you going in the best possible fashion, which I found extremely comforting at the time. But things have kind of stalled out a little bit mentioned on my podcast and i think maybe another one that they have bought a new a different house a new house to them of course and very nice and well deserved it's a payment that i don't think they've ever had to deal with before and i think i was worried it would kind of change things and i think it has a little bit because now he's has to worry about his income like i still have a house payment to make for 15 years for sure I mean, do you Uh, think that's more of the delay? Do you think it's more of a money thing? Do you think it's, like you said, identity? A lot of people, it's habit. I have clients that sell their shop and their body drives them to the shop on Monday because they've been doing it for 40 years. Or do you think it's, I guess, kind of part of the identity, but doesn't know what else to do at this time? Yeah, I think that's primarily it. I really do think the identity thing. I think the, the shop is so much, was his life outside of family for 30 years. That's... All he has done for the last 30 years is try to make a go of it as Riverside Automotive. And he was at it for almost 20 years before I showed up. And things changed drastically after that because they had to. The way it was going was just unsustainable. What do you mean by that? Well, for one, he was leasing, which 
I don't know that fundamentally that's bad. It was basically a storage shed for a boat storage company. So to store people's boats over the winter, indoor storage, gigantic building. They did some boat repairs. This was essentially storage shed. That's what it even looked like. The outside was kind of the a little bit rusty galvanized tin and gravel parking lot. And we're right next to, literally right next to a the railroad. So the train had come by. You guys were literally on the other side of the railroad tracks? Yeah, the wrong side too. I kid you not. <laughs> but we were sandwiched between the Mississippi River and this railroad track. So the train's blasting through. You can't hear anything while that train's going by. First, it's blaring the horn because there's, yeah, blaring the horn because it's approaching an intersection. And then the the train is however long. It's going to be a couple of minutes of just a tornado hit. We wouldn't have known. We'd have just thought it was the train going by. And then every spring, there's the threat and oftentimes the reality of us getting flooded out or at least enough that the shop maybe didn't get any damage, but customers wouldn't have been able to get their car to us. So we might have to shut down for a week or two for flooding. It was ridiculous. I know the rent was really low, but it didn't have the look of the clients we needed to go after. I always think that's so, a funny one. I've had other people say this. Well, I'm not sure if I want to leave. My rent's really cheap. It's like, you're talking about a $1,500 difference. Your ARO is yeah. 900 You think it can get two more cars a month, maybe? It's it's crazy. They don't think that way. Or I shouldn't say they, just a lot of people don't think that way. It's Well, a lot of people don't have an analytical. So a lot of people have a knee-jerk reaction to, oh, that seems expensive. But if you don't have any really like analysis behind it, it's just, you know, a lot of people have that magic number in their head of, oh, that's a lot. And it's like, are you saying that's a lot or are you just saying that's, you know, 30% more than what you're paying? You know, just like we said, once you put it into perspective, it's like, oh, it's not that much. It's like, well, yeah, five grand more a month sounds scary on paper. But if you're, you know, right on Main Street, then you're probably going to make your money back and some pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, we didn't have an office, the, the office quote-unquote office, was a corner in the shop. So if somebody was using an air hammer, you couldn't hear on the phone, you couldn't hear the customer. You guys were a real train, shop. Oh, yeah. The train went by, nobody's doing, nobody's hearing or communicating anymore unless we knew sign language. I think you were, I think this sounds like something from an actual country song. <laughs> this is like, this is where Hank Williams Jr.'s got to start, in from, your shop. Yeah, probably. Let's face it, your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop period. You need NapaTrax because it integrates with all the major players, including Napa ProLink, PartsTech, OE RepairLink, Epicor, TireConnect, Mitchell One Pro Demand, and more. NapaTrax has leading edge tools and technology that your shop needs right now. Unlike the other guys, we'll be there after your installation with the best training and support in the business. Your training includes a learning management system that is tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. For over 30 years, NapaTrax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Shop owners, are you struggling to find and retain top-tier talent for your automotive shop? Introducing Promotive on the web at gopromotive.com. 
With over 40 years of combined industry and recruiting experience, we're the ultimate staffing solution. We go beyond traditional agencies. Our team provides dedicated recruiters and account managers advising on processes, compensation, and benefits. We focus on placing technicians and service advisors with shops that offer the best culture, training, and long-term growth opportunities. Trust our experience to match the right talent to your shop. We carefully select shops that value employee excellence and provide an environment for success. Our dedicated team leads the entire process, leveraging our industry knowledge and expertise. Partner with Promotive and experience their advantage to help you build a high-performing team that drives your shop's growth. Visit gopromotive.com today and let us help find and keep the best talent in the industry. I think we're just a tick under 3,000 square feet. And the shop we moved into, the building we moved into is, a, I think, just a tick under 10,000 square feet. I mean, that had to be quite the culture shock for everyone. Of course, they were scared. And I don't blame them. Like their payment, if you will, a mortgage or whatever building payment was going to double. So I get it. Like you were saying, I was of the same mindset. It's nothing. It's nothing. We're going to be able to get more cars. And we've got the time we had a tech who could really turn ours. And I felt like I had a reputation that we could pull the new building or different building. It's not new, like we built it. What Riverside's in right now is kind of in a, a bit of an industrial park. And there's really two collision shops very nearby, another repair shop very nearby, and another repair shop not too far away. And I like, I feel like I could pull a lot of that work in, which we did, like just almost instantaneous. Once we were about a block away from this collision shop, we got all their mechanical work. We got all the programming, anything electrical to diagnose. It was so easy for them to just push it over or drive it over quick, drop it off. It was terrific. And we got this, you know, I'm sure there's many shops with a much larger waiting room, but it's really a monster size waiting room for people. That, there's a kid's play nook, kind of an area, got a nice serving area to have like coffee and water and soda and a couch to sit on, a couple of chairs to sit on. And then we got a couple of those kind of higher coffee tables. You you know, they're maybe three feet off the ground or so, probably not quite that high, but with the high chairs, people can sit at, people that are have, have to work love sitting in there. They set their laptops on there. Away they go. We got a couple of those. It was just such an upgrade, but moving in, the shop owner and his wife were kind of adamant about like, we need to cut this down maybe in half. We could get another bay in here. We're not going to be able to use all the bays we have yet. Yep. Let's, Let's fill those up first and then yep. we'll start cutting up the Xbox in the corner for the waiters. Exactly. And now it's like a point of pride. You know what I mean? It started out like, oh, this is way too big. This is a waste. To now it's like a point of pride. Like we got this wonderful waiting room. Oh, do you guys remember when you didn't want that? Do you remember the argument we had down at the shop and I, the old shop, and I don't mean argument like screaming and yelling or anything like that, but the debates or discussion, heated discussion about a waiting room at that shop, the old shop. Well, we don't have people that wait. Yeah. You don't have people that wait because you don't have nowhere for them to wait. Yeah. It's the chicken or the egg. How does one wait in a waiting area when there isn't a waiting area? Yeah. It's just terrible. They don't want to sit in the corner of the shop. So they must not want to sit on this couch either. I don't, I'm not sure I make that connection. And the thing is, is when they have a decent place to wait, they really don't bother anybody. They sit down, they fire up their phones or tablets or laptops and 
it's not a big deal. And if the car is kind of going sideways, we offer them a ride wherever they need to go. It's, it's not been an issue having people waiting. Now that I've said that, it's going to be terrible for the next month. I was about to say, I, I see people post. Jinxed like, it. I don't allow any waiters. You got to get out. It's like, eh, I get it, right? It's a little bit harder to say, hey, it's going to take a couple more hours if they're you know, sitting in your waiting area versus sitting on their couch. But there's also yep. a lot of benefits of it too. Now, do you think that he actually ever wanted to move on? I mean, when you know he kind of said, oh, yeah, this would be a cool succession. Do you think that it was more he got caught up in the moment and never truly wanted to sell it? Or there was a time that he was done, ready to move on to you. And that kind of was a fleeting idea. And now we're back to, hey, this is my thing. If I had to try to read his mind, I would <laughs> say a lot of it is he feels torn. I think he feels torn with, he understands my like position. He, like he knows, he's like, hey, Matt wants me to sell. I do not want to sell. And I'm kind of between a rock and a hard place here. And he might feel like there's a risk that if he just says no, that I might leave. And if I leave, then what? And things could get really complicated. Maybe not. You know, I don't want to sound arrogant either, or at least foolishly arrogant, but it could be very difficult because... Is this something that is ever spoken about or it's the elephant in the room? I think it's an elephant in the room. I've I'm, never threatened to leave. I, yeah, I guess, but I'm saying like, have you ever, not that you're ever sarcastic, but even just a remark of, is this ever going to get sold or anything like that? Or it's just kind of, hey, hey. I think I told him what, or it was telling him, but asking and kind of the same thing. And it wasn't to be a jerk. It was really like, I, I got I kind of want to be able to make a five or 10 year plan. Like, hey, we don't need exact day of the week, but probably some more of a timeline. And how is that, Matt? Yeah. And and are you serious about this? Like, if you're not, just tell me, out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Please level with me. And then can we go a different direction or what are some other things we could do? Yeah. But it sounds like he's serious. It's some of it's in my court now to really decide, am I buying them and bumping them? Or is there something else we can do that kind of fulfills what I want? Which, I mean, granted, there's some days I just wish he wasn't there, to be honest. But other days, it's he's an asset. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it's, I've seen both sides of this, obviously, a lot of times. Now, I will tell you that generally an owner that sticks around does not stay around very long, even if they have a contract. And that's usually 50-50 both ways. It's, yep. hey, you bought someone's baby. Do you think that they're going to be able to sit by idly and or watch you do stuff that they don't agree with? Eh, some of them are better than others. And then, you know, a lot of times from the other perspective, it's like, hey, this is really hard to be around here and not have control. Let me just get out of here so I don't get in anyone's ways. I mean, yeah. Now, how recently was this? Was that conversation of, or I guess oh, you're saying that, hey, you're still in the planning phases, but you're now been tasked with, all right, let's say that you were to buy me out. What does that actually look like? Does that mean I'm gone and I need to figure out something else to do? Or, hey, we kind of swap roles. Hey, now I'm in, you're the owner and I'm working for you. And I mean, I guess, yeah, that's a tricky one. Yeah. Well, I think I, I told him if we're going to, if I'm going to buy you out, then the idea is, that you get to go and enjoy your retirement. But I, the idea and the intent, I guess. Yeah. And that he would not really be there. And I kind of asked him, like, how does this work? How does this look? Because we had kind of agreed on a price. I would say we're both pretty close on what we thought the place was worth, being the land, the building, everything inside, just 
the whole kit and caboodle. And I didn't find his number outrageous. And he came down to my number a little bit. And then it's that's kind of where it's set. And it's, now what? Am I trying to go to a bank and getting all this money now at my age? That's kind of freaky because I don't know that I have that kind of time to recoup and then make a real big go of this. Or how you're could acting, this be you're structured? Like you're 72, Matt. Come on now. Give a little more credit for yourself. You got another strong 60 years left out here. <laughs> it would be nice. <laughs> and I'm not sure 60 would be nice. Like, give me a solid 30. We're good with that. Right. <laughs> so that would be nice to think about if I could do that. But I don't know but how you're reasonable not, that say, is. That, this would be the classic. The follow-up episode of this one is, guys, he did offer it to me and I've decided that I don't want it anymore. It's <laughs> just a full cycle of it. Of Yeah. Both of us had a epiphany moment where you didn't want it. But I mean, the part that I think is not, it's actually not unique. It's super common that a lot of people get hung up on is, well, you just can't agree on price. And it's like, no, nah, not usually, right? Even, and I've seen a lot of deals, especially for family members. Generally, the person selling doesn't say, oh, I want this. And, and you're like, well, I would like to pay you more, right? It's, hey, you had to pay me this. And Usually it's kind of a sandy check back like, dad, how much money do you think it makes? Plus, hey, I'm doing all of this work for you and while you live in Florida. But a lot of times, even if someone comes in a higher price, a lot of people think, all right, is this far enough off that I'm going to negotiate against someone that I'm related to or care strongly for? Or also a lot of people think, hey, the number is not really negotiable. If I'm paying this, I'm not agreeing that this is the fair price. I'm agreeing that this is what it's going to take to buy this specific shop. Because yeah. there's very few people, especially if you've made a decision, hey, I want to own a shop, that would be kind of wild to say, hey, but I'm going to go out and then buy one and then try to turn it into this one because tweaked it to what more or less that you want. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the frustration isn't actually on the price side. It's the everything else of like, okay, we're kind of on the same page on price. And if we're not on the same page, we could get there in 10 minute conversation. But what does everything else look like? I think the timeline is probably the biggest frustration and just the lack of any sort of progress. Yeah. and But also I would say fear on my part with the actual total number wasn't that important. It was more or less the amount of money per month to pay it and then still be able to grow the business and hopefully improve my quality of life, hopefully improve everybody's quality of life under the roof. If that couldn't be structured in a way to allow me to be successful, it wouldn't matter if it was $100,000 or $5 million. I couldn't sustain it. There's fear that recently he's talked about bringing in a, a, a company or somebody to value this, the business. And I didn't really think that was required. Like we kind of agreed on what it's worth. Probably one of the few things that's been kind of hammered out already, correct? Yeah, seems to still be operating under the delusion. And I guess that sounds really condescending, but it is what it is. Under the delusion that if, let's just say for sake of argument, and you've probably talked about this in your podcast before. So I'm sorry if this ends up being like a repeat, but has this idea that if he were to sell this business to me for let's just say a million dollars. And then down the road, the IRS or somebody, I'm guessing the IRS, looks and says, well, that business was worth three million. You sold it to him for a million. You owe us two million, whatever the taxes would have been on that two million dollars. You're on the hook for that. I think we did explain to him that's not how this works. You absolutely explained it to him. But what do I know? Right. 
So I also have this idea that the valuation company goes through and if it's valued lower than the number we talked about, these he'll guys, want to still stick to be, this number. If it's lower, these guys are idiots. If it's higher, they're, <laughs> oh my God, we've missed something very important. Yeah. I, I wish I could sell it to you for that number we talked about, but I can't. I just can't. It's And so part of me is also like, great job, Matt. You've spent the last 11, 12 years building this up to be something you can't even afford to buy. So good I mean, job. That's, that's a really good point there. And that's why I you know, have talked about this before. What a lot of people do now, we're a couple of years out from this, is when you were talking three years ago, that's where a lot of people say, hey, if you're going to want to own this at some point, you know, and you're a bright enough person, you might figure out exactly what Matt is figuring out now. Hey, if I drive this business, if I grow it, if I make it more profitable, in the short term, I'm making my boss more money. In the long term, I'm making what I'm buying even more valuable, more expensive. But a lot of people say, hey, the value is what it is today. You grow it in the meantime, make me more money, but you're not going to get penalized on the back end. And also, that's a huge thing. I mean, was any of that talk officially put in there of, hey, this is a million dollar business to Hunt? I don't know, Hunt. Yep. That's guy off the street. I don't think that Hunt would have the same price given the impact that you have had in that business versus what I've had, right? Or lack thereof. Right. Was that ever talked about or implied? I think it's been implied, not so much your with your name, but just because we had already had this number. Mm-hmm. I don't know that... In, in certain situations that he would readily admit my contribution to the overall success. I mean, I'll, Other say, in the, circles, I'll say in the numbers, if there was yeah. one, I probably wouldn't have said that there was a large amount. I mean, I guess there's a chance that he would have sold it for much more to someone else. But, you know, it's not like I saw and I was like, Matt, you're getting a sweetheart deal here. Like, what the heck's going on? No, not at all. No. Not one where like, hey, the IRS would be concerned mm-hmm. about this. The IRS would look no. at it and be like, that's pretty fair. I think it is because the... I think the numbers align also with just, you know, sales and the building itself, what the value of the building would be just based on what the rate of per square, yeah, you know, per square foot kind of it's close. Maybe it's a little weighted more in his benefit. And I'm okay with that too. Like he, we, we he call has that, the we risk call that right in now. The business negative sweat equity. Matt, congratulations. Right. We don't see it. But, it's a rare one, but we don't see it much. <laughs> right. You are going to pay thing, me though. more because I've paid you for 12 years. Yeah. And that I'll say it again. Like I, I don't feel I'm mistreated. I get some very nice bonuses off of profits. So not like I'm it's, not benefiting as well. But, but I think it's a long-term planning. If I say, hey, Matt, what are you going to do in five years? You're like, this is probably pretty hard to answer because if I'm an employee here, there, anywhere else, that's going to be a lot different answer than if I own this business. You know, that business is an anchor. And if you own that business, that probably is going to dictate a lot of other stuff. If you decided today that you're like, I don't like it here. You know, I don't like the weather. We're going to move to Florida. While there's other logistical challenges, hey, go open a shop down there, work for someone else down there. Obviously, you own a business a little bit different. Yep. Now, what does your wife think about this? I think honestly, to level with you, she worries that if I were to take over, however that manifests itself, I buy it. We work out a deal where he's on the way out, scheduled or just out that she will lose a lot of time with me because now the idea is the business owner is going to be working 14, 16 hour days. Not that that she knows you well to maybe figure out what you're going to do. Now, the way you said that, you made it kind of sound like that she didn't have an accurate estimate on that. Now, how accurate do you think that would be, you know, the actual reality of what would happen? 
I mean, I don't see it. You're like, you're going to do what you you got to do. You got to do. You're like, that's not what I'm hoping is going to happen here. I guess, especially on family. Like I have a couple situations that are similar and, and kind of festering right now. And the reason I ask about the spouse is a lot of times the one that's kind of more upset of the second generation. The kid is there's reasons behind it. And the wife is, well, hey, you created all this when, and your dad's not going to do any of this. You know, you're too nice to him. He's taking advantage of you. Now, the other side of it, in the last two years alone, I've had probably four guys at the 11th hour selling their shops and get cold feet. Just like we were talking about here. What am I going to do? I'm too young. I need to make more money, whatever it is. All four of those went through with the deal. Maybe not because of themselves, but their wives, I guess. At least two of them I talked to and they said, yeah, I kind of tell my wife, you know, I'm not going to do it. And she looked at me and I was like, well, I guess I am going to do it. <laughs> it was like, I, it wasn't really my choice at that point. But a lot of that, I think probably goes back to what you said too, of, of time. So maybe your wife does have something on there of like, no, not even time of physical presence. A lot of why my clients sell, even when they're not in the day-to-day business is the mental load of it. Hey, if you guys are at the beach, hey, I still have to be there. That's my building. That's my shop. That's my business. If someone gets hurt, if something happens, it's all on me. So to be able to turn off from that is being self-employed is impossible. It's so there is that aspect of it. I don't know if that pertains to me only because my mind is usually elsewhere anyways. (laughs) I'm usually daydreaming about something else. I can only daydream about one thing at a time. I, I am thinking about something and it's probably, I'm probably the least present person she's ever met. Now, but what if you're daydreaming and you get the text message from one of your guys, Mrs. Smith's Taurus is on fire in the shop. It's going to be hard to daydream through that one, Matt. No, that's true. But, but <laughs> that's just true. Like if I'm, if I'm supposed point. to be at the beach, Hunt yeah, one, if I'm Matt supposed Zero. to be at the beach <laughs> and present with her and if kids are there or whatever, that probably wasn't going to happen anyways because I'd be thinking about something else entirely, whether it's car related or Matt, your phone's rang eight times. Yeah. Can you please answer it? <laughs> and then your wife goes, I told you, see, this is, I called this was going to happen years ago. Yeah. Well, most people that know me listening are sitting there going like, she wants to spend more time with you. What's wrong with it? <laughs> like, I found a very codependent significant other. That's what I did. It's really relevant. You share this a lot and this is a commitment, sometimes unwilling for the spouse as well too. And it's a really kind of something a lot of people aren't mindful of and I think has ruffled some feathers before because your wife's not alone and thinking out of like, hey, you know what? Yeah, the money's going to be good, but what are kind of the negative effects on this going to be? Now, obviously, at the end of the day, no matter what, I think she would want you to say, hey, if that's what you really want to do, Matt, she's not going to stop that. But yeah. And would there be more money? You know, that kind of weighs on me a little bit too. Will I be able to maintain my quality of life, my income? Will it go up? Will it go up significantly, potentially go up significantly? Or because now I've taken on this risk and financial load to buy this place, is it going to be fairly you know, static for a while? I just won't be lucky to maintain. And then when you know, this deal goes through, before you go talk to a bank, uh, let's delete this episode so they don't hear this kind of stuff about it. Yeah. I'd be like, you sound confident here, Matt. <laughs> Mrs. Smith's gonna just, car's gonna catch on fire. You're gonna make less money than you did a year before. Well, it's I know shop owners that bought shops that they used to work in, and the shop owner that they bought it from was making a really good living because they owned everything. They didn't have any building payments. They had to pay the taxes. And so then when they buy this place for whatever amount, all of a sudden they're making this payment. And there isn't as much money as they thought there would be. Now, granted, in a couple of those cases, they're their own worst enemies. They're, they could have got more money. They could start billing properly and all that. But 
right now, I think Riverside, we can always do stuff better. So it's, it's no delusions of grandeur here, but we're already kind of more on that, the better end of that billing for diagnostic time. Our rates can always go higher, but definitely on the highest, higher end of rates in the area. But even and, if you and, were kind of changing stuff, that's tricky too, because it's like, all right, if I'm going to go from an $85 an hour labor rate shop to a 130 you know, even if 130 is market value, because like you said, everything was paid off before, you think it's going to be the same customers at 80 at 130 There's going to be the loyal ones that are coming to you guys, but it's going to be the more price sensitive ones that are dropping off. And then it's even kind of a bigger hit because you're like, all right, what did I pay for if I scared off half my customers just to make this you know, viable in the future? And Especially in today's market, you bring up a super good point here, not only just with real estate prices, right? I mean, especially some of these guys that are selling this after 30, 40 years, right? Like where they built that, you couldn't pay people to live there. And and now it's so built up that you could even build a shop there now because they'll never give you a building permit, but also interest rates. I've seen a couple yep. deals just fall through or just get postponed because, hey, you know what? The value is good. Like it's very fair. It might even be on the lower side of it. The interest rates and what else we got going on here, this doesn't really make sense anymore at nine and a half percent. It did at six, nine and a half. It's again, like you were talking about. All right, am I going to step in here, assume all this risk and all this stress and then take a 30% haircut? You know, what am I missing here? This sounds like I'm getting tricked. Yeah, and it's, it's like, I'm not trying to be fearful. I'm not trying to be scaredy you know, a scaredy cat or anything. I'm trying to be logical and reasonable. And I'm not saying I'm actually being logical or reasonable. I could be wildly off and should have more confidence in pushing harder to get this done. Well, I think that some Um, of that is probably protectionary too, Matt, of like, well, maybe I'm not mad that this isn't getting done. Because if he said, hey, you know what? That price we talked about before, we're good. Banks approve this. You close next Friday. I don't think that you would have any apprehension, would you? Probably not. (laughs) You're like, eh, all right. You're like, if you push me in that direction, I mean, to kind of bring this all back, is there something if you would have gone back? Because I think that the tricky part of this is it's gone on so long, it's kind of hard to be like, all right, enough is enough. Because it's like, well, what? After 40 months, that was when you kind of you're putting your foot down. I guess the two things is if you could go back to, I guess, even 12 years ago or three years ago, when you first started talking about making this transition, what would you have done differently, if anything? And then, you know, what does it look like here in the near long-term future? I mean, where do you think this is going to go? And how do you think you can do that? Wow. You just heard my, I know they, fat, my yeah. fat lab just snored there right before you said it. So that was not <laughs> me snoring. If anyone heard, that's an overweight yellow lab. It went all the way back. I know people say avoid partnerships altogether, but I would I would think I would have tried to push really when the shops showed signs of growing, like big time growing, which it did. You know, so when I I first started Forum, which I know a lot of this stuff just sounds like I'm totally putting myself over and I hate how that sounds. And I mean, like I said, I'm just trying to... It's a shrewd business move to buy in when the business you know is going to be successful. I think I'm going to add that to as a special bonus chapter of my book. (laughs) Quick tip for partnerships. Do not join them when they're not making money. Join in when they are, but at a lower cost. There you go. More tips tomorrow. But what do you think like by having... hey? it's easier to buy the remaining 50% than go from zero to a hundred is probably what you're talking about there. Yeah. Yeah. Or got stuff more laid more groundwork with some way of either buying shares or again, like I'm maybe making stuff up that doesn't truly exist or it just doesn't work that way. But I don't know that there's necessarily technically 
gifts and business, but you were, we were tying, kind of talking about sweat equity there for a while, that there's really short of your income, your salary and bonuses and all that. There's really no re- long-term reward for sweat equity. I and, would say, I would disagree. I have a lot of deals okay. that, well, some people do the bed, bath and beyond model. Almost all the deals I recommend people do sweat equity. And what I mean by bed, bath and beyond is, hey, if the business is worth a million bucks and you want to sell it for a million, but you want to give sweat equity, hey, Matt, the business is worth 1.2 and I'm giving you 200 off the top, right? You can always back into what it is. But like I said, a lot of people will give the sweat equity in the shorter term of, hey, Matt, it's now July of 2023. The value is fair market value. I'm not going to give this away. The sweat equity is over the next three years, you are building your own sweat equity because this is still going to be 900,000 today. It's going to be 900,000 36 months later. But, you know, some other people don't do that. And, you know, I'm not sure it's necessarily expected to a certain degree either, right? I mean, I think there could be an argument of saying, hey, I would have done what I did if I knew I was going to buy this or if I didn't. You know, I'm here to do a good job. I take pride in my work and my job was to sell and make you money. Like, I'm not going to think that you've been working there for the last 12 years underpaid or not paid at all where there's something owed to you. I think a lot of times, especially for longtime key employees, they want to show something. Now, is it on paper? Versus in actuality, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that doesn't happen a good bit. Yeah, I think it's just, I guess, sometimes I wonder as people become more and more educated on this, and maybe it's, again, I could be way off with this thought process, but when you're asking people in certain positions to help, and maybe not even asking them, maybe they just do it and you're seeing the benefits that this place is growing incomes are going up and it could be for a multitude of reasons, right? It doesn't have to always be just so technical or even always directly related to matrixes and rates and all that. I mean, last couple of years have been strong for most everyone. I think so. It would be in some cases very difficult to attribute to just a person. It could be the situation, the environment. New car, used car, local market, you name it. Yep. But I think there's a lot, there's a lot. When you say these a lot and all that, it's so relative. What does that even mean? But there's situations where any business, it's not just auto repair, that the business isn't doing as good as it could could be. Maybe it's struggling, maybe it's not, but it's certainly not excelling. And then you hire an employee, maybe in a managerial position, maybe, you know, in our world, a, like a technician who's got some bravado or at least willing to share ideas because I need the shop to succeed so that I can succeed. I want to make more money, but I know that for me to make more money, the shop's got to make more money. So it doesn't make sense to me to be ultra selfish in this. I have to be unselfish, hopefully for selfish means. Hopefully trickle down economics works on a very small you know, situation here where if I can help you grow this business and increase your profits, I'm going to get some pay bumps. I'm going to get some benefits that help me with my expendable income. But then the catch 22 of that has to be also, hey, as I do this, yeah, I'm getting seven cents on a dollar of gross profit for my commission. You're getting 93 cents. So yeah, I mean, it's nice to grow it, but to know that 90 other 93 was an option or should have been an option right now kind of stings. And I, and I think what I see a lot of times, and, and this is not your situation specifically, unless you say it is, but also I see a lot of times Maybe if a plan's never been set, but even a plan's never officially been set, one party has a plan in their mind, right? Usually the one that wants to buy, like, hey, I thought at this point because of that one inference that my dad says that, you know, he was going to sell it to me. 
And you see a lot of people really driven, right? Hey, I'm in there. Dad's on his way out. You know, boss is on his way out. Mom's on his way out. Whatever it might be, I'm going to build this thing because it's going to be mine. And then you think you're getting close and then it just keeps on getting, you know, just out of reach, just out of reach. And then I see a lot of people just kind of get burnt out on this. I'm like, man, you know what? I'm doing a lot of what it is. I'm, you know, shouldering a lot of the burden of ownership without a lot of benefits. And I don't really see any way that this changes in a foreseeable future. What am I sacrificing for? And do I just walk? You know, do I walk on a business that is third generation? Yours is, you know, would obviously still be a hard position to walk off of, but, you know, one that your great grandfather started, your uncle and dad ran, stuff like that. I mean, it's tricky. And a lot of times then the family members use that as leverage too. Hey, they know that you do not want to leave. And so they know that they don't have to completely meet your needs. They just can't completely say no to it and can probably hang you hang around for a little bit. But that at some point comes to a head. And usually what it is, is the person buying it coming to a point where they say, hey, I've had enough. Here's your two choices. You or me. One of us is walking out the door. If you want to stay here, great. That's all you. I'm going to go do something else. If you're really done with it, then let's sell this thing and, and let's just be done with it. Now, how do those conversations go? The I would say in the recent memory of my record of personal experience, been about 500 there. So <laughs> it could yeah, go and- either way. But that's what's hard. It's like you have to be willing to do that. If you're going to say, hey, it's my way or the highway. I want it. You have to be willing to walk. And sometimes you do have to walk. And that- That's really the scary part of like, all right, hey, am I really gung-ho enough to push for this that I'm willing to quit? Or yeah, I would really like to own this, but I also, you know, I'm not having a terrible time working here either. And that's where you guess you got to figure out where you are in the spectrum. Now, do you think that spectrum changes from week to week for you? I'm sure it does, right? Oh, it does because I started thinking about stuff. And when I'm supposed to be on the beach present there, I'm thinking about this, that while I feel well cared for, like I I feel well taken care of that with all this effort and, you know, just there's no beating around the bush, right? Like a a really terrific network of friends and colleagues and relationships with people in different places that affords me access to a lot of terrific things, information, tools and equipment, stuff like that, that the shop benefits from. And because of that, I feel like it's grown to what it is and is going to continue to do so. And my fear is, and I don't like it or just like thinking about this, that other than my paycheck, there's nothing left for me. Like there's, if he ups and up and decides to sell it tomorrow, I get nothing. Well, and honestly, you'd be the first one gone, right? Yeah. And the money's committing to you. How horrible would that be? Just to think about that, how horrible. And I don't even, I want to, I don't want to imply he would do that and that he has any malcontent. But, but, you know, and I've saw this last fall, it's a private equity guy comes in there and let's say you guys had a deal agreed upon for a million dollars and everything was still good. They were actually going forward with the deal. But what if a private equity guy comes and offers you 3.3 million? Hey, I like you, Matt. I appreciate the sweat equity, but this is a lot of money. Now, in that situation, my client ended up actually taking a decent portion of that, not millions of dollars, but enough and gave it to this guy and said, hey, I have a non-compete. I cannot start a shop. You can. Here's your money. Go start your shop. This is a win. I thought that was super, super cool. Yeah, that's amazing. And for all I know, my boss would do exactly that. I don't know. What I do know... But you also are like, hey, if I want to buy a shop, I would 
this one. Because if you were to start a new one, you'd probably try to replicate a lot of the things that you Absolutely. guys like there. You know, and if you've been Absolutely. doing this and it sounds like the cool part of it is we wouldn't even be having this conversation if he wasn't a good boss because you wouldn't have stuck around this long. That's the tricky right. part here. But also he's right. allowed you the creativity and the autonomy to be able to change this. Maybe not to exactly what you want, but a lot of it is. It's kind of your way. And we see it a lot with key employees. Maybe it's completely your way other than their name on the dotted line of ownership. But sometimes it almost makes it worse. Like, hey, it would almost be easier if I was just working in his business and it was his way. And then when I get in and I can change it, I might be more frustrated to be like, this is like my business I would create other than it's not mine. And someone could sell it whenever they want. Yep. It just kind of weighs heavily on me sometimes. Well, are you going to uh-huh. give us a guarantee of when you're going to have a follow-up episode to come on here and say, <laughs> guarantee? Hey, that's I am going to be now a business owner, so I have to change the name of my podcast to something else. Or you say, hey, I'm looking for a job and we can go down some wish lists of what you like and what your favorite type of climate <laughs> is and, and see if we can get a bidding war going here. I mean, I think Ant- Antarctica is a very untapped market right now. I feel so like it I'm is. Thinking like, about that. They don't even have Yelp down there. We could, you know, do the worst yeah. work and no one would even be able to review it for a while. That's the way. It's a trapped market, I think. <laughs> yeah, you don't like it? Well, too bad. <laughs> We're the only person on this continent that can fix it. You're right. Literally, this continent. <laughs> Imagine so, the stuff that they see down there. It's like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, we don't even have that problem. Like, I'd even know that could freeze. Everything's a cold start problem. (laughs) Exactly. It runs bad when it's cold, but unfortunately, it's always cold. (laughs) You know, the good part is Uh, you never have to buy thermostats. There's no thermostats or radiators sold in Antarctica. It's all just hard piped. Just really, we remove the cooling systems. I really don't need Who knows? Now I'm curious. Now I got to go look that up. I mean, when I I have a GMC Sierra and it's got the diesel and when I got it, I, it came with one of those. I thought it was a like leather bra, like that people put on their car in the 90s. And the guy was like, no, that's for covering your radiator when it's too cold out. And I was like, huh? I was like, we're in Maryland, dude. I'm not sure I got to be doing all that stuff. Yeah, you're pretty- like, oh, you're like, I know what that is. Well, I knew what it is, but it's not really common on a passenger car. It medium heavy duty stuff. Yeah, they'll put that on to restrict airflow through the radiator to allow it to maintain operating temperature. But on a passenger vehicle, even your Sierra, it's really rare that's a problem. I mean, you would know it driving down the road or sitting at a stoplight. I mean, if it's more so driving down the road, if it's cold enough that I have to put a leather blanket on my Duramax, then I'm probably just going to go home. It's There's no reason for me to be out. <laughs> You'd notice the heat out of the vents would be like, this thing just doesn't throw any heat. <laughs> Something is going horribly wrong here. And that is how Hunt froze to death. So guys, if you hear about <laughs> me at one point freezing to death on the side of the road, I in fact did not have the telltale signs that I need to put my cold brow on the front of it. Well, Matt, I appreciate it, man. I mean, this was the most feedback I got from an episode probably unsurprised or surprisingly, I wasn't expecting it. But I mean, this hits home for a lot of people because these are tricky situations. And the unfortunate thing is there is no sort of perfect answer here because it's not just business. It's not just personal. It's a mixture of both. But I guess if you're in this situation, like we said, it's tricky. Communication is the biggest thing here. Both of you guys have ideas in your head. And I also feel like this is kind of a man thing too, of like, man, yeah, I don't want to have that tough conversation and I don't want to make this awkward and having a pre-conversation to talk yourself out of talking. But I mean, that's where a lot of this is started is years ago. 
hey, instead of making this weird and and having kind of, you know, weird offhand remarks, if you're the owner, make an offhand remark, hey, at one point I want you to buy this is not something that employees never going to forget. You might have forgotten you've ever said that, but that's in the back of their mind, you know, and I think that getting a concrete plan is the biggest thing that I noticed from my clients that have been able to do this pretty amicably and the ones that have went down a trail of flames. But yeah. And I got to believe I'm not the only one in a similar situation where you're an employee, you're not family. So family, potentially, it seems more likely that they would be will- more apt to try to help make this work. Uh, know, we could do, we could do a, a whole another episode of knucklehead yeah. sons coming in at 37 and running the place. Yeah. Actually, that's usually like the villain origin story of most people that had started their own shop. Well, I worked for someone else. What happened? I was supposed to buy it and Johnny came back into town. And as soon as he came in, I walked out the other one. But a lot of those cases, it's like, well, I did recreate that shop because when I walked out the door, everything, everyone else followed along with me, including the customers. Very cool. Yeah. So I just, I felt that was just more important than anything to talk about just to offer that perspective that there's got to be a lot of people in this, the same situation going, they kind of want to buy it or thinking about buying it, don't know what it takes, but you know, you're not family. So how does that work where the owner might work harder to make things work out for us, a child, one of their children. But when you're just an employee, even if they care about you, it's not the same. And then a little bit of my, I guess, fear, you watch people with money, when money gets involved, people act really weird. They're no longer a lot of that. Any kind of loyalty kind of goes out the window. I guess, you know, when I think about families, they seem really close knit until somebody died and there's a lot of money. And next thing you know, that family falls apart. I mean, and sometimes I, it's true. It's, well, I'll never yeah. change on money. It's like, yeah, I forget. Someone told me, someone said this one time. It was a really cool. And he said, drop a dime on the ground when you're walking down the sidewalk and see what people do. No one's going to notice. No one's going to do anything, even if they see it. Drop a hundred dollar yeah. bill on there and watch people start punching each other in the face. And it's like, man, you know what? You could go do that experiment right now, no matter where you are. And that prediction will come true. Unless you're somewhere, maybe in Canada, you probably are, right? You actually up there. You guys, <laughs> yeah. you guys might be all right up there too. You guys are nice. Oh, sorry, sir. Did you drop that? Yeah, Here nice. you go. In Baltimore, you'd get. <laughs> they take that and they say, what else fell out of your pocket? I'll take that too. The perspective that you give is awesome because I don't know who listens to this, honestly, but I think it's mostly shop owners. And I think that could be a wake up call for some people here listening to this of being like, man, I am Matt's boss right now. Like, no, I don't want to hurt this person. Hey, I do want to sell it to them. And if this is enough to be able to go and talk and, you know, just like we were saying before, hey, if you're not ready to sell it, fine. These people probably still want to work here, but it might be that they have kind of a different idea of they can't read your mind. Or if you are ready to sell, you know, set up something and stick to it. And the stick to it thing is the biggest thing. You know, there's nothing worse than being six years into a three-year deal because then you have no deal. Hey, that deal was supposed to happen three years ago. That thing's already expired and done with. So we're back to square one, but almost even negative one because... We were almost at the finish line and we crossed it and just kept on going. And when you own something and you're building it, it, you're building your legacy. You're building something that that you own that you can sell. If you have somebody working for you that whether they're doing it freely or you're asking of it as part of their position, if they start building this thing or helping, not all by themselves, but helping build this thing and they have, you could assign them a fairly large contribution, whatever percentage that may be, but it's... We'll just say for to stay vague, large, 
what are they building for? And how does that affect them? At some point, you start seeing some of the passion go away. You have to start wondering, is it they're asking themselves, why are they building this for somebody else that they'll have no attachment to? And I understand like if you hired to do a certain job, like that's kind of the name of the game, but it is rough long term to think about that when you're out. Well, it's, it's owning versus renting. Like, hey, yeah. obviously uh, this is an income producing asset. So everyone benefits from the income, payroll, paying the vendors, paying the rent and stuff like that, including the owner of their profits. Only the owner gets the actual asset. And so just like buying a house of, hey, you know, not only, you know, if I hopefully I'm going to rent this, also the underlying asset itself should be appreciating. And if you are renting out something that you're renting, subleasing it, yeah, you can still make cash on a monthly basis, but you're not building wealth. There's not another yeah. level to that. Yeah, and it almost feels like renting while also doing some repairs and improvements to the property. <laughs> you're like, wait, and am I the you're... property manager, the lessee and the lesser? Yeah. I'm not sure I like this. I've been renting this house from you, but I redid the roof and the windows and I redid the kitchen. And okay. now you want well, me to buy I have it? To evict you. Yeah. <laughs> now I want you to buy it. Oh, you don't want to get out. Yeah. Um, that's what one of my clients but, yeah. has rented from this derelict building from this landlord, but it's a perfect spot for what he does on it. Um, I shouldn't say derelict. I mean, it could use some love, but it working just fine. And he's rented from him for 30 years and, you know, he just jacked up his rent. So he came back and said, like, how much do you want for it? And threw out an outrageous number. He's like, try that again. Say, how much do you want for it? But keep in mind, I've already paid for this building two times over. And the guy, yep. the guy didn't get the joke. He was like, what do you mean? You were renting it. It's like, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Awesome, Matt. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank awesome conversation as always. And I think a really cool insight here that maybe will open up some people's eyes to the other side of it. So there's going to be a follow-up. It's either going to be a good one or a bad one. And, and we're not going <laughs> to give the listeners any sort of clue when it is. You have to be dedicated yep. and, and we'll throw it in here somewhere. Cool. So I just want to thank you again for listening. Hope you enjoyed that talk as much as I did. Thanks for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.